0: Good morning, everyone. I will be in the book of John, chapter 1. I want to thank uh, Clem and Phil for allowing me to do this. I want to thank the Lord for allowing me, and I want to thank you all, too. Now, I have a little bit of disclaimer before I get too far into this that I am a preacher, and you will figure that out very quickly. So that's just the way I am. So, We'll be in John chapter 1, verses 43 through 46. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 46. And I want to talk to you about the three appeals that we need to make to seekers. In many ways, this is also a testimony of of my life. It doesn't take much to look around at the world and see that it's shaking. And it is yet to be seen what shall remain. And it is more important than ever that we remain faithful to Jesus, our King. Many who are watching their world crumble around them, even those who may call themselves Christians, and many are realizing how much their life is built on sand. It is during times of crisis and times like what we see today That we have to answer the hard questions. It's times that we come to this and we have to recognize the reality. Something that many of us may not acknowledge in times of peace and prosperity. Crisis has a way of doing that. It has a way of making us answer the hard questions. The good news is there are a lot of people though that are looking for truth. They're looking for the way of Christ. They're wanting to know that there's more And we find ourselves in a unique place in history to answer that call. And since we are ambassadors of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Jesus calls us to not only be followers, but also a caller of followers. Essentially, Jesus not only calls followers, but he calls his followers to call followers. Because Jesus works in his followers and I want to look at that this morning in our text, because Jesus uses Philip to reach Nathaniel, And that is what I believe the Lord wants us to look at this morning as I pray through this. I'm going to do something that, that I used to do quite a bit. If you'll stand with me, um, stand with me with the reading, uh, for the reading of God's word. Starting at verse 43, it says the day following Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph." And and Nathaniel said unto him, Can't there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. You all may be seated. So I want to go ahead and continue about the three appeals that we need to be making to those who are around us. And the first appeal I believe that we should make is the appeal that Philip makes to Nathaniel here. Is it is an appeal to the trustworthiness of God's revelation. That what God has revealed is is true i'm going to read verses 43 through 45 read it again with read it with me it says the day following jesus would go forth into galilee and findeth philip and saith unto him follow me now philip was of Bethsaida, the city of andrew and peter philip findeth nathaniel and saith unto him we have found him of whom moses in the law And the prophets did right, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, for context, I included verses 43 and 44, but I want to hone in and focus on verse 45. Philip, being a follower of Jesus, being a follower of Christ, calls Nathanael to follow Christ. And I believe he makes a case that we should be making to those of us today. And the case that he starts out making to Nathanael was that what was written by Moses and the prophets... Was true. Hundreds of years earlier. God revealed these things to Moses. In the law and the prophets. And Philip says to Nathanael. And these things are true. That what was written hundreds of years ago. Was a faithful testimony. Of what would be. That God speaking through Moses. And the prophets foretold faithfully. That one would come. And that what God has revealed through holy men was it trustworthy and sufficient to be believed. To apply that directly, we too are to call on those around us and tell them that what God has revealed is faithful and true. For He who revealed it is faithful and true. We are calling others to, uh, we are appealing to others to accept that that what God has revealed is faithful and true. It accurately de- depicts. God's plan for the ages and the triumph of his kingdom that every knee will bow and that salvation is granted to all repent, believe and follow our king. Are we making that appeal today to those who are around us that what God says is true and it is to be believed? I want to take you to the second appeal that Philip makes to Nathaniel, and that's an appeal to the work of God to fulfill his revelation, that is, that God acts in, accord, in accordance with what he has revealed. Look at verse 45, I'll read again. So we look at it, it Said Philip findeth Nathanael, saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write: Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Not only did Philip make the case that what God revealed in ages past was true, but that God is faithful to fulfill what he revealed. It is not only that God spoke through Moses and the prophets, but that he has worked and acted in accordance with what he has revealed, that God is faithful and true to his word and that God is faithful and true to his revelation. He is a, not only a speaking God, but a fulfilling God. He's not only a God who speaks, he's a God who works. He's a God who Acts, and that's the appeal. So, God has spoken and God has fulfilled in this person named Jesus. That is the appeal that Philip is making Nathaniel. That these ancient prophecies are finding their realization in Jesus, and that the revelation of the word is revealed in flesh, namely Jesus. That the promises of old are fulfillment today. God is a God of revelation, but he's also a God of action. Essentially, he is faithful to act. And as the church of Jesus Christ is being disciples and followers of him, we appeal to those around us that what God says is true and is sufficient to be believed. That we make an appeal to those around us that God acts and works in line in accordance with what he has revealed and is doing so today. And he says this to him. He goes, how do you know that Philip says this to him? Because you know why the Philip says it we says this to him? Philip says, God is acting and working today because we have found him. Whom the Moses and the law and the prophets spoke of. Whom God revealed ages ago is now here today. That is the appeal that he's making to Nathaniel. So we have found him. God has fulfilled what he said and his name is Jesus. Let me finish with the third appeal that Philip makes to Nathaniel that I really feel like we need to be making to those around us. It's an appeal to the relevance of God's revelation, and that this true revelation that God has fulfilled and is fulfilling requires a response from us today. Uh, in our mission center, there was a fella. That thought that he'd get off the hook, he goes, I'm not for Christianity, but I'm not against it either. So God'll have have a have a be able to, won't I won't be able to judge me because I'm not against him. I said, You don't I said if you're not for him, you're not against him. There is no sideline in life when it comes to God. The revelation of God in word and the revelation of God in deed requires that those of us who've heard and seen what God has done to respond. Look at verse 46 with me. This is, And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Nathanael asked an honest question. Where have the prophets told us that the Messiah would come from Nazareth? He wasn't fully convinced. Yet how did Philip respond? Philip told him, Come and see. He says, He's essentially telling Nathanael, God has been faithful to reveal. God is faithful to act. Now we must be faithful to respond to what God has revealed and acted and done. You may not have all your questions answered or your doubts settled. But when you meet Jesus, he will reveal who he is, that he is the son of God. And I wish I could go into this further. But later on, a few verses later, Jesus says, I saw you. Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. And he says, You're the Son of God, revealed himself to him because Nathaniel responded. Now, the, the hard thing is, is that not many in our world are really seeking, asking, or knocking. But to those who are, we are witnesses of Jesus. And we're used by Jesus to bring people to himself. Philip started from a position of being a disciple. And he made an appeal that God, what God had revealed was true. We, make, we should make an appeal to the world around us that what God has revealed is true. The second appeal, again, just to reiterate this, that what God has revealed, God will act. God will work. God will do. God will fulfill what he has revealed. And then we compel them to receive by faith the Son of God. Someone who follows Jesus has to come to accept the certain truth. First truth that they have to accept is that God's revelation is true and trustworthy, and it's testimony of Christ in life. We follow the Jesus as he revealed himself in the Bible. The second thing that we must accept is that God works and acts in line with what he has revealed. That God is not only a speaker, but he's also a fulfiller. He fulfills those things. And lastly, the third thing that we must accept is that God's revelation is relevant to me today. It's not just archaic stories with an archaic author. That doesn't have any relevance today. It's as relevant today as it ever has been. I would say, I would, well, because we're here today, more so. It has so much application, so relevant today, because Jesus is still building his kingdom. And he's calling people to follow him. And he wants to use people like you to do it. Well, we'll pray, and then I'll turn back over to Phil. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity. Lord, to look into Philip and how he reached out to Nathaniel and Lord, I ask you to put that desire in our hearts, Lord, that we'd look around us at the hopelessness, at the lies and Lord, that we would be willing to share the truth. Lord, that we'd call people to you to become followers of you. Lord, that they would see that you are the son of God. And that your kingdom is never shaken, never moved. Lord, I know in the midst of crisis, we, sh- we should pray, Lord, that you would give our leaders wisdom. And Lord, that you would give, uh, that you would bring peace. But Lord, in, this, in the middle of this crisis that we find ourselves in, our culture, our society finds ourselves in. Lord, we know that these are the times when men's hearts are often most yielding to the truth. And Lord, we ask you to open doors of opportunity for us to be able to speak that truth in the lives of others. Lord, that your kingdom would continue to grow and flourish and that we'd be obedient servants and disciples in continuing your work on earth. Lord, give us boldness and courage to reach out to those of us, to those around us. And Lord, may you receive the glory above all. May you be magnified and let it start in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Good morning, in the name of the Lord, good morning. We want to welcome everyone, certainly our visitors and everyone that's here, those who are listening electronically today, Um, we believe that the Holy Spirit is with us today and it is not bound by time and space, so those of you who are listening, we believe that Spirit is with you also. I got some good news and I got some bad news. The bad news is kind of obvious. The schedule says that Clem Bowman is preaching this morning, and I'm not that young or good looking, either one. Um, He has a daughter, Camille, that has tested positive, and so they are staying home, and I got a call Friday night, and that's the reason I'm here. Now, the good news is that in two weeks, when the schedule says that old man's supposed to talk, Clem Bowman's going to be there, so you want to remember that one. I like to, it doesn't always work this way, but I like to work on a message over a period of time. I like to read and study and meditate and write down thoughts and come back to it and change it and modify it and the whole thing. Friday night he calls. And I said, man, it's Christmas season. That's not where I'm reading. It's the end of the year, and so I'm reading in the end of the book. I'm in Revelation 15 and 16. That's not hardly a Christmas message. I lay it before the Lord and all I could do, I could not get Revelation 15 16 out of my head. You're not going to get a Christmas message. I want to... um, if, if I had to put a title up here this morning and I thought about writing it down, but I didn't, if I had to give a title, it would be an unholy trinity. And this is what I want to say in the beginning. There are very few things that the human family cannot go through if they think they know or they know what the outcome's going to be. That's the reason armies march off to war. So they can have victory and things are going to be better afterwards. They're willing to sacrifice, greatly sacrifice. So they can have that victory. Some of you have worked long, hard, hard hours to get ahead. Because you want it to be better on out. It's worth it. You know it. The word of God is going to tell us. Where the worst thing that is possible we could ever imagine, that's what we're going to look at this morning. That's going to come on this planet, on this earth, and on the souls of men, that there is victory in the midst of it, and we can get through it. I invite you to turn your Bibles. I've got two places I want to read before we get into our main text area. And I want to read 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter, and I invite you to stay with me today. Most of the time we'll be in Revelation 15, 16, but I've got two or three places I want to read first. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 6. And and I'm reading out of the New King James. I hope you'll forgive me that. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You will notice there's two things I want you to get out of this short passage. One of them is that the power of sin and iniquity and wickedness is already at work. It's already here. We are seeing it. We are living in that day. And I want you to notice that the reason everything hasn't gone completely to evil is because there is a restraining power, and that restraining power is the Holy Spirit of God. And that Holy Spirit is holding things back. We live in a day when the Holy Spirit is still crying out to people like you and me and mankind everywhere to come to the Lord. And as long as that Spirit is here, (coughs) the spirit of evil will not have the full dominion. So we live in a glorious day, a beautiful day, a wonderful time. Because the Spirit will speak to you and me. Now I ask you to turn your Bibles just a few pages to 2 Timothy, 3rd chapter.
2: <coughs>
1: Excuse me. <clears throat> 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You mothers, grandmothers, fathers, whoever, you sit and you read the Bible stories to your children, it is not a little thing. If you could have a child that you could influence with the simple scriptures of the word of God, you're richer than if you own Fort Knox. It is absolutely invaluable. It is the only way we will save souls is through the Holy Spirit and the scriptures. Now I want to read on. And I want you to notice this. All scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, for every good work. I'm going to read portions of Scripture today that you probably don't like to read, if you're like me. They are scary in the human sense. It is the wrath of God being poured out on sinful man. And it's about as negative and ugly as you can get. But I just read to you, you know what? The Scripture I just read, it says all Scripture... And that includes even the portions we're going to read. All Scripture is a blessing. It will teach us. It will correct us. It will give us strength for the work that we need to do. And this portion of Scripture we're going to look at today is not any different. One more. Let's go to Luke 21. Luke 21, verse 25, I'll begin reading, and this is talking about the second coming, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. And on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, remember, he already told us, the powers that is gonna bring about that is already here. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. So the things we're going to look at today as negative and as awesome as they are and almost completely indescribable. You know what the bottom line is? Look up. Our redemption's coming. We haven't lost anything. So turn with me to Revelation 15. And I really wanna get to Revelation 16 but I'm I'm gonna read Revelation 15 because it begins to deal with the bold judgments. Now you'll remember with me there are three sets of seven judgments. The seals, the trumpets, and the bulls or the vials. Depends on the translation you read. And each one of those sets are sequential, and they continue to get worse as you get towards the end. And we're going to look at the end. We're going to look at the bowl or the vile judgments. And so I want to begin reading chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels, having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like sea of glass mingled with fire, those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying. And I just want to stop here. This is probably referring to tribulation saints. This is the time of Jacob's trouble. This is the great tribulation. And this is, because it is the bowls, it's towards the end. It is towards the end of that great time of tribulation, and it is ready to be consummated. And people have been, have given their lives for the name of Jesus. It will happen. It is happening now. We already see it. Remember, it's already at work. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of Saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. And I just want to stop here and say to you, um, God will have a total victory. Everything we're going to talk about from here on in is not a loss to the believer, no believer is going to be hurt in this other than in the, in the physical sense on this earth. But their eternal salvation is secure. And they are stating here before he even talk about the bold judgments that there is victory in Jesus. Thank you, John, for the opening because the victory is in Jesus, exactly what you said. And after these things, I looked and behold, the temple, of the tabernacle, the testimony was heaven, of heaven was opened. And out of the temple came seven angels having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chest girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Now notice, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed." I don't know if you realize how devastating that statement is. Do you know that you and I approach the temple of God this morning by the Holy Spirit? And we plead through Jesus Christ, and it's an open temple. Come ye, whosoever will. It is an open door. We can walk right in into the holiest of holies because of what Jesus has done. But we're talking about here the last seven bowls that's going to be poured out. And he says that temple is filled with the smoke of God and no one can enter. This is not a time of mercy. This is a time of judgment. This is a time of eternal condemnation. And this is only for those who have not bent the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. The victory's already been secured, but this is a terrible time. Because men are going to die. Men and women and boys and girls. And it's not just the death of this life, it is an eternal death. Well, I want to start with the bowls in the 16th chapter. These seven bowls, even though the bowls are sequentially worse than the trumpets and the seals, it seems to me like even the bowls, as they progress, get worse and worse. 16th chapter, and then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. I don't know there's examples of Lazarus. There's examples in the uh, when the children came out of Egypt, some of the plagues that were done. But apparently these sores will come on men and they will be open, putrid, weeping sores and there is no cure. They are in constant agony and pain. Who are they? They are people who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our view, in today's view, this doesn't sound fair. But we're going to see in a little bit. We serve a just God. And it is fair. It is right. It is his judgment. And it is final. Let's look at verse 3. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. And it became blood as of a dead man. And every creature in the sea died. Can you imagine the coagulated blood of a dead person? And that's what the oceans are? And everything in the ocean, everything, living thing, dies. There are no ships that carry commerce. That's all cut off. I'm I'm assuming that. Look at the mess that's here. We've only got to the second bowl you think somewhere along the line, men would stop and say, I am sorry, forgive me, I repent, I was wrong, Lord, you are king. Do they do that? Let's read on. Verse 4. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood, and I heard the angel of the water saying, can you imagine every river and every uh, springs and every fountain turned to blood? That's what you drink. That's what cleanses things. That's what cools the earth. That's what evaporates. There's no evaporation anymore out of the, out of the ocean, apparently. It's turned to, blo- it turned to dried blood. And so you don't have the uh, atmospheric conditions that promote life. And so this is what they said, the angel of the waters. You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. Notice, for they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets. And you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. So there's no fresh water to drink. They have to drink blood. You know why? Because they have slain the saints of God. You think about all the armies that have marched, and if they come back victory, they win the battle. Oh, it's a glorious thing, isn't it? So often, so often, they've killed the innocent and the young. You think God's happy with that? I think there's what what's happening here is God's saying, "You didn't value blood, which is the life." You didn't value the things that are important that I give freely to you. You you didn't value them at all. So drink it. I'm putting them on words. And the angel says, That's just. That's fair. That's right. I'm telling you, we live in a time of mercy. We live in a time of goodness and graciousness. And it's not just. The Holy Spirit that is still here and that, that is the main thing. But we got beautiful rivers. We got oceans and mountains and everything is gorgeous. Even with all the sin. Wow. Verse 7. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. It doesn't make any difference whether we think they're fair or unfair or anything else. This is the Lord. This is God. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with a great heat, and they blast. I just want to stop there. The sun is a blessing. It warms us. It makes uh, crops grow. It's day and night. The whole ecosystem centers around the Sun. And he pours out this bowl, and power is given to scorch men and so it becomes a curse. What happens? This, this, is, this is just amazing. This verse nine is just it is amazing. And, they and men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. You know what we're seeing today? Remember, I read earlier that these powers are already here. Do you notice? This is, this is in my lifetime. Common sense seems to be out the door. It just, I, I just don't understand. I, I cannot get a handle on what's going on and how people are thinking. And, and it seems like all of a sudden it's escalated and two plus two doesn't equal four. Nothing nothing ever comes out and makes sense. And they're crazy for it. It's growing. Are we beginning to see the beginnings of what we're reading about and where it's going to end and what it is. You want to know why they will never say, I'm sorry, I was wrong? Because just what the word of God says here, there's a spirit that says, I will not repent. I will rebel and stick my fist against God. And if they think they're going to get away with it, God help us. I'll tell you, John told us we need to witness. We need to witness, Amen. Now, I need to do 50 times better. That's the thing about it. I, I guess <clears throat> one thing I've noticed, I've noticed this in life a believer really never stops repenting, do we? We always see. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, brother, sister, whatever. I meant to do what was right, but I didn't. I'm sorry. Do you ever notice that evil never repents? They never say I was wrong. They never say, Oh, I see what you said. Let's turn around and go the other way. They don't do that. I don't care if we're talking about religion or politics or morals or whatever it is, there's always a reason, there's an excuse for someone else to blame, always. And so they do not repent. I'll just give you one example of that, and I know a lot of you have heard me say this before, but to me, it's, it's kind of the bottom line of what our culture is. I do not understand how grown, intelligent, educated men and women Some of them, even nurses and doctors, will say that a baby in the womb is not a human being. And I look at that and I say, how can we be that far gone? It's where we are. And again, I say it's growing. And so what we're seeing today, the consummation is what I'm reading to you this morning. This is where it ends up. And the scripture analyzes it and tells us exactly what it is. Let's go on to the next bowl. Bowl number five. Verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom became full of darkness. Well, again, he's given them exactly what they asked for. They love darkness, right? Right? And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain, and notice they blasphemed the God of heaven because their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Men love darkness rather than evil. And so the Lord says, okay, I'll give you darkness. I think we cannot comprehend that darkness. Absolute true darkness is heavy. It is completely enclosing and tight. And there is no way out of it. This is what we are beginning to see the ends of. Somebody's going to say, well, you're just kind of an old man, and you're getting to the end, and you're just a little bit carried away here. Maybe I am, but I'll tell you what, if it's scripture, and I think it is, then it's the truth. verse 12 then this sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up I find that interesting it seemed like there's already all the water and everything's been taken care of but uh, anyway there's some theory it's all kinds of things I had to think about it uh, in our opening this morning people read these things and <clears throat> they're like all of us. We don't totally understand all of it. And some of them saying, if you have that much heat from the sun and you melt the solar um, ice caps, that there could be as much as 200 inches of rays of the water level across the whole world. I don't know if that's right. I have no idea. And so some of them are saying, well, this is what happens. The heat comes up, and now now you've got water like crazy. And But anyway, they... <clears throat> they... Um, the Lord dries up Euphrates, regardless, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I want to stop there um, because um, it seems like the kings of the east, and the, what what the Euphrates is, is the eastern edge of God's plan for the land of Israel. And so he dries it up so the kings of the east can come across. And I looked at that and I thought, well, so what? They can fly, they can, d- no. If you have all of the ecosystem in, like we have talked about, I think all our sources of life and power, whether it be gasoline that's pumped out or electricity or generating plants, I think they're all destroyed. And it's just my opinion, so you do what you want. It's just my opinion that the reason he dries up that river, the Lord does this, he dries up the river for the kings of the east to come across, is because they're going to be on foot. And don't ask me how they come. I, I cannot figure it. If, if there's that much darkness and maybe there isn't there, I, I don't know. And you've got sores all over you. Are you going to come with, with weaponry hung on you? I guess hatred does amazing things, doesn't it? If there's enough hatred, we will do things that are actually impossible, seemingly. Maybe that's what it is. And so they're, they're coming to, um, to Armageddon. And so uh, <clears throat> the Lord makes it possible for them to come. And I want to read on the 13th verse. Well, I just want to stop for a minute. There are some estimations that have been made of the size we're going to read in just a little bit. It isn't just the kings of the earth that's going to be the whole world that's going to come. And I don't know how they're going to get here. I don't know how they're going to cross an ocean like we just described. And there's things I don't understand. I believe it because God said it. So that's good enough. But I don't understand it. And so there, there are people that believe there will be as many as 200 million soldiers to fight against God at Armageddon. It's going to be the devil's last attempt to conquer Jesus. And he will fail miserably. Just the breath of his mouth. We're not even going to get into that this morning. 13th verse. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. If I had to label this message this morning, I'd call it an unholy trinity. I just read it to you. Remember the devil mimics everything the Lord does if he possibly can. That's what he does. He, he'll copy it. He'll, he'll mimic it. And so what we have here is um, dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And the dragon probably, um, some of the side notes in mine says this is called the unholy trinity. It's composed of Satan, who is the dragon, the antichrist, who is the beast, and the antichrist associate, which would be a substitute for the Holy Spirit, I think, the false prophet. Four, they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And so they perform, they perform, by the way, this is another thing. I really think we haven't seen a lot of this yet. It's always been here, but we haven't seen it in fullness. But I think we're going to come into a time very, very quickly that unless there be a revival, That we will start to see miracles done whether it's on TV or I don't know but I think we're going to see a lot of miracles done just because a miracle appears to be a miracle doesn't mean it's of God and what's happening here is we have an unholy trinity and they're going to be doing all kinds of signs and miracles and they're going to fool the whole world and the whole world's going to follow after them and they're going to bring all their armies and their people to Armageddon to fight against God Because they will not repent. They never say they're wrong. And we see that spirit today. Isn't that amazing? We're seeing things today. I I never dreamed as a young man. I didn't. So the deception is so great that they, they think they can defeat God. Still do. Have you noticed how many times whenever uh, something that is wrong or evil or whatever, and they, the truth is laid out and they say, oh, that's not science. You're not following science. Uh, sorry. Science is only science when it's in accord with the God that made science. That's the only time. So, then Jesus speaks in the 15th verse Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Blessed is he who watches. The victory is secured. If we're in Jesus, we're fine. If we have to give our lives, yeah. Might have to do that. But eternally we're fine. But you know what he tells us to do? To watch. He tells us to be aware. He tells us to be what wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Verse 17 Seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. Wow. You know what I think? I think the whole earth that groaneth and travaileth until now because it's under the bondage of sin, and they hear their Maker stand up and shout and say, It is done. What's done? The judgment is done, it's over. I think there is a tribute, there's a setting free of even the mountains and the rocks and the hills and the trees and the grass blades and and the animals and everything else that's going to be cut loose and they're going to rejoice. And but it's going to cause a problem for a little bit. Look at this. 18th verse. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the Babylon and the nations, and the cities of the nations fell. I guess I better stop there. There's only one city that's going to withstand all this, the way I understand it, and that's Jerusalem. Every other city is going to be crushed. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And I just want to stop. So apparently there's going to be an earthquake like it's going to be around the whole world. And it's going to, it's going to, the islands are going to be gone. It's going to flatten the mountains. It's going to completely change everything. But Jerusalem is going to be divided, ready for the millennial kingdom, perhaps, into three different sections. And it's going to be a great blessing for the whole world. But he's not quite done. He's not quite done with those who rejected him, who have the mark of the beast, who worshipped the beast, who worshipped everything evil. So let's read on. 21st verse, and great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent, that's somewhere between 60 and 100 pounds each, each hailstone about the height, weight of a talent, men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. So what do you think? The unholy Trinity at work today? Do we see the beginnings of the end? I think we all know, don't we? And in some ways, it can be a little frightening. So I just want to talk about a couple very, very earthy, simple things as a way to encourage you in closing. How many of you are familiar with the song "Who'll Stop the Rain"? Yeah, especially the older ones. It's interesting. <clears throat> I uh, I really wasn't familiar with it until well, not too long ago, several years perhaps. And I really liked the sound of it. I, I, I enjoyed listening to it. It was a it was a classical group of. That, that played a lot of the, the great songs through the, through the years. And, and uh, I told Mary Ellen one night, I said, listen to this. So we sit and listen to it. And here, a few days ago, I, thought, uh, I wonder what the meaning of who'll stop the rain is. Maybe maybe wisdom would say, remember, he told us to watch. We're to be aware. Uh, maybe, I, maybe I better check this out. August 1969 was Woodstock and to some of you younger ones that doesn't mean anything but there were 400,000 people that showed up at a dairy farm in upstate New York and for three or four days it was a wild drug filled alcohol filled rock festival an absolute orgy many people wore no clothes or if they did it was very very minimal it was complete Wickedness, And it will say, if you pull it up today, they will tell you that Woodstock changed the genera of music in the United States and probably the whole world. It was a pivotal point that was filthy, evil, and godless. There was a rock band there, a very famous one, called Creedence Clearwater Revival. Their lead singer, whose name was John Fogarty. Fogarty was at the festival, and they were performing when the rain came. It turned cold, and here's all these people. And they're standing out there in the rain, cold, huddled together, unclothed, and an absolute, ungodly mess. And Fogarty wrote this song, Who Will Stop the Rain? You know why he wrote it? He wanted the rain to stop so they could continue in their rebellion and in their sin. And I share this with you because here I am listening to that song. Oh, that's pretty cool. No, I didn't. Cool, all, well, it's wicked. Who do you think wrote that song? The Holy Trinity or the unholy Trinity? What about your homes? about your homes? I, I'm not asking for me, but is there anything that has smote your heart as you thought about this today? It needs to be repented of. Needs to be cleaned up. Needs to be gotten rid of. Now, I'll give you another one. A neat couple. Um, godly couple. They both knew the Lord And they started courting. You know what they told us years ago, a long time ago? You know what they told me? And I've thought about it a lot since. They said, we were pure, and things were good. But one night, we were in his car, and we let the radio play the music, and we got in trouble. I'm asking you this morning. When you go home. The things that you read. The movies that you watch. The songs that you listen to. The people that you talk with. Do they represent the unholy trinity? Because this is where they're going to end up. Revelation 15, 16 is where it's going to end up. Or are the things. You know, Cornerstone and really any congregation, it doesn't make any difference. I so appreciate the way the funds come together to bless others in missions or needs or or, or whatever. I appreciate the outreach. I appreciate the songs. I appreciate many of the messages, all the messages really that we hear and and the whole thing. But if I go home, and I let the unholy trinity have a little niche in my home, I have absolutely destroyed what I claim I'm doing here. God help us. We are in a battle, an eternal battle for the eternal souls of men. Blessings, what do we have to sing?